0: Chapter 18. Brian worked around the tail of the plane two more times, pulling himself along the stabilizer and the elevator, but there simply wasn't a way in. Stupid, he thought. I was stupid to think that I could come out here and get inside this plane. Nothing is that easy. Not out here. Not in this place. Nothing is easy. He slammed his fist against the body of the plane and to his complete surprise, the aluminum covering gave easily under his blow. He hit it again, and once more, it bent and gave, and he found that even when he didn't strike it, but just pushed it, it still moved. It was really, he thought, very thin aluminum skin over a kind of skeleton, and if it gave that easily, he might be able to force his way through the hatchet. He might be able to cut or hack it with the hatchet. He reached to his belt and pulled the hatchet out, picked, up, picked a place where the aluminum gave his push, and took an experimental swing at it. The hatchet cut through the aluminum as if it were soft cheese. He couldn't believe it. Three more hacks and he had a triangular-sized hole in the size of his hand and could see four cables that he guessed were the control cables going back to the tail. And he hit the skin of the plane with a frenzied series of hacks to make it still larger of an opening. And he was bending a piece of aluminum away from two aluminum braces of some kind when he dropped the hatchet. It went straight down past his legs. It felt He felt it bump his foot and then go down, down into the water. And for a second, he couldn't understand that he had done it. For all this time, all the living and the fighting, the hatchet had been everything. He always wore it. Without the hatchet, he had nothing. No fire, no tools, no weapons. He was nothing. The hatchet was, it had been him and he dropped it. Oh, he yelled, choked it on it, and a small cry of rage at his own carelessness. The hole in the plane was still too small to use for anything, and now he didn't have a tool. That was the kind of thing I would have done before, he said to the lake, to the sky, and to the trees. When I came here, I would have done that, but not now, not now. Yet he had, and he hung on the raft for a moment and felt sorry for himself for his own stupidity. But as before, the self-pity didn't help, and he knew that he had only one course of action. He had to get the hatchet back. He had to dive down and get it back. But how deep was it? In the deep end of the gym pool at school, he had no trouble getting to the bottom, and that was, he was pretty sure, about 11 feet. Here, it was impossible to know the exact, de- exact depth. The front end of the plane, anchored by the weight of the engine, was obviously on the bottom, but it came back up at an angle so the water wasn't as deep as the plane was long. He pulled himself out of the water so his chest could expand. He took two deep breaths and swiveled and dove, pulling his arms and kicking off the raft bottom with the bottom of his feet. His first thrust took him down a good eight feet, but his visibility was only five feet beyond that, and he could not see the bottom yet. He clawed down six or seven feet— the pressure pushing his ears until he held his nose and popped them. And just as he ran out of breath and needed to head back up, he saw the bottom still four feet below his dive. He exploded out of the surface, bumping his head and the side of the elevator where he came up and took air like a whale, pushing the stale air out until he wheezed and taking new in. He would have to get deeper yet and still have time to search while he was down there. Stupid, he thought once more cursing himself just dumb he pulled air again and again pushing his chest out until he could not possibly get any more capacity then he took one more deep lungful and wheeled and dove uh, dove again this time he made an arrow out of his hands and used his legs to push off the bottom of the raft. all he all he had were in his legs to spring snap and propel, propel him down As soon as he felt himself slowing a bit, he started raking back with his arms at his side like paddles and thrusting with his legs like a frog, and this time he was so successful that he ran his face into the bottom mud. He shook his head to clear his eyes and looked around. The plane disappeared out and down in front of him. He thought he could see the windows, and that made him think again of the pilot sitting inside, and he forced his thoughts from it, but he could see no hatchet. Bad air triggers were starting to go off in his brain and he knew he was limited to seconds now, but he held for a moment and tried moving out of it. And just as he ran out of air, he knew that he was going to have to blow soon. He saw the handle sticking out of the mud. He made one grab, missed, reached again, and felt his finger close on the rubber. He clutched it and in one motion slammed his feet down into the mud and powered himself up. But now his lungs were ready to explode, and he had flashes of color in his brain, explosions of color, and he knew he would have to take a pool of water, take it in his lungs, just as, he, as if he had opened his mouth to take it in, to pull all the water in the lake, his head blew out of the surface and into the light. Oh, it was as if the balloon had exploded. Old air blew out of his nose and mouth, and he pulled new air in again and again. He reached for the side of the raft and hung there, just breathing, until he could think more once more. The hatchet was clutched and shining in his right hand. All right, the plane, still the plane. He went back to the hole in the few, few sludge and began to chop and cut again, peeling the aluminum skin off in pieces. It was slow going because he was careful, very careful, with the hatchet. But he hacked and pulled until he opened a hole large enough to pull his head and shoulders in and look down into the water. It was very dark inside the fuselage, and he could see nothing, certainly no sign of the survival pack. But there were some small pieces and bits of paper floating on the surface inside the plane. Dirt from the floor of the plane had floated up, but nothing substantial. Well, he thought, did you expect it to be easy? so So easy, like that way, just open her up and get the pack right? He would have to open it more, much more, so that he could poke down inside. He could see what he could find. The survival pack had to, be zippered, had to have been a zippered nylon bag, or perhaps a canvas of some kind. And he thought it had been red, or was it gray? Well, it didn't matter. It must have been moved when the plane crashed, or it might be jammed down under something else. He started chopping again, cutting the aluminum away in small triangles, putting each one on the raft as he chopped. He could never throw anything away again, he thought, because they might be useful later. Bits of metal, fish arrows, arrowheads, or lures, maybe. And when he finally finished again, he had cleaned away the whole side and top of the fuselage and stuck out of the water. He had cut down into the water as far as he could reach and had a hole almost as big as he was, except for that it crossed and crisscrossed with aluminum. Or it might be steel. He couldn't really tell. Braces and formers and cables. It was an awful tangle mess. But after chopping some braces away, there was room for him to wiggle through and get inside. He held back for a moment, uncomfortable with the thought of getting inside the plane. What if the tail settled back to the bottom and he got caught and couldn't get out? It was a horrible thought. But then he reconsidered. The thing had been up now for two days, plus a bit. And he had been hammering and climbing on it and it hadn't gone down. It seemed pretty solid. He eeled in through the cables and formers, wiggling and pulling in sa- until he was inside the tail, with his head clear off the surface of the water and his legs down on the angled floor. When he was ready, he took a deep breath and pushed down along the floor with his legs, feeling some kind of fabric or cloth, anything with his bare feet. He touched nothing but the floor plates. Up, a new breath, and then he reached down to formers underwater and pulled himself beneath the water, his legs pushing down and down, almost to the backs of the front seats, and finally, on the left side of the plane, he thought he felt his foot hit cloth or canvas, up for more air, deep breathing, then one more grab at the formers, and pushing as hard as he could, he jammed his feet down, and he hit it again, definitely canvas or heavy nylon. And this time, he pushed his foot, he thought he felt something inside, something hard. It had to be the bag. Driven forward by the crash, it was jammed in the backs of the seats and caught on something. He tried to reach for it and pull, but didn't have the air left and went up for more. His lungs filled in great gulps. He shot down again, pulling on the formers until he was almost there. Then wheeling down head first, he grabbed at the cloth. It was the survival bag. He pulled and tore at it to loosen it, and just as it broke free, his heart leaped to feel it rise as he looked up above the bag. In the light coming from the side window, the pale green light of the water, he saw the pilot's head, only it wasn't the pilot's head any longer, the fish. He never really thought about it, but the fish, the fish had been eating all this time, and they had to eat it too. They had seen the pilot all this time, almost two months, nibbling and chewing, and all that remind, remained was not quite cleared a clean skull, and when he looked up, it was wobble it wobbled loosely too much too much his mind screamed in horror and he slammed back and was sick in the water sick so that he choked on it and tried to breathe water and could have ended there ended where the pilot where ended with the pilot where it almost ended when the first when they first arrived except for that his legs jerked it was instinctive fear more than anything else fear of what he had seen but they jerked and pushed as he headed up where, when they jerked, and he shot to the surface still inside the birdcage of formers and cables. His head slammed into a bracket as he cleared, and he reached up to grab it and was free in the air, hanging up, hanging up in the tail. He hung that way for several minutes, choking and heaving and gasping for air, fighting the clear picture of the pilot from his mind. It went slowly. He knew it would never completely leave, but he looked to the shore and there were trees and birds and the sun was getting old and golden over his shelter. And when he stopped coughing, he could hear the gentle sounds of evening, the peace sounds, the bird sounds and the breeze in the trees. The peace finally came to him and he settled his breathing. He was still a long way from being finished. He had a lot of work to do. The bag was floating next to him, but he had to get it out of the plane and onto the raft and then back to shore. He wiggled through the formers and it seemed harder than when he came in and pulled the raft round. The bag fought him. It was almost as if he didn't as if it didn't want to leave the plane. He pulled and jerked and still it wouldn't fit, and at last he had to change the shape of it, rearranging what was inside by pushing and pulling at the sides until he narrowed it and it made and made it longer. Even when it finally came, it was difficult, and he had to pull first at one side, then another, an inch at a time squeezing it through. All of this took some time, and when he finally got the bag out and tied it to the top of the raft, it was nearly dark. He was bone tired from working all day in the water. He was chilled deep, and he was still had no push. He still had to push the raft to shore. Many times he thought he would not make it. With the added weight of the bag, which seemed to get heavier by the foot, coupled with the fact that he was getting weaker all the time, the raft seemed barely to move. He kicked and pulled and pushed, taking the shortest way straight back to shore hanging to, re- to rest many times, then surging again and again. It seemed to take forever, and when at last his feet hit the bottom, he could push against the mud and slide the raft into the shore weeds to bump against the bank, as if he was weak so he couldn't stand. He had to crawl. He was so tired, he didn't even notice the mosquitoes that tore at him like a gray, angry cloud. He had done it. That's all he could think of now. He had done it. He turned and sat on the bank with his legs in the water and pulled the bag ashore and began the long drag. He couldn't lift it back down to the shoreline of his shelter. Two hours, almost three, he dragged and stumbled in the dark, brushing the mosquitoes away and sometimes on his feet, more often on his knees, finally to drop across the bag to and to sleep when he made the sand in front of his doorway. He had done it.